Welcome to today's episode of The Square. I'm really excited to be here with Tanya and Sam. This is, you guys are two of my favorite people at Corgan, and this is our third Curiosity Report Launch Square podcast. That's kind of a mouthful. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about what has changed over the last three years with the Curiosity Report. Well, a lot has changed this year um, as compared to the last few years. The last few years, we had a much longer report, which was probably about 150 pages, 250 pages, maybe almost 300 pages. <laughs> I mean, they were pretty big reports. And a lot of that was because what we used to do was source material across Corganites, get ideas from a lot of different Corganites um, and see where they were interested in the research topic that we had proposed. This year, because of the topic that we had picked, we wanted to make sure that we were talking to experts across the industry. And so we kept the articles shorter. They're a lot more bite-sized, mm -hmm. um, but we also more included- More pictures for people like me. More God. pictures for you. And then we also, for every article, have an expert opinion or voice um, <clears throat> to help support the data that we've been gathering. Um, so it really helps to solidify the concept. Mm -hmm. and technical some what? of the stuff's pretty technical so are you right? bringing in more outside opinions than in the first couple of years yes okay. yes yeah. every single article that we have has at least one if not more experts mm -hmm. on it how have you seen that change the content I definitely think that there's a much more application directly to the work that we do here at Corgan um, and I also think that it's helpful for us because a lot of the concepts that we have been building in each of the articles can be, um, you know, theorized, but then can also be supported by the secondary research and yeah. then supported yeah. by expert opinions and what they're actually doing out in the field. And maybe right. potentially have a, a, an easier on-ramp to practical applications. Right. Right. And some of the topics that we covered in 2020 and 2021 were more uh, sweeping, more abstract topics, but you're seeing them now. It's like we've kind of spent a couple years learning about you know, things like mixed realities and quant, and you're kind of seeing its application in a more technical, right. um, more focused topic. So the first year really focused on dark technologies, and then right. last year I loved, which was perspectives and understanding bias, and this year it's energy. Why energy? Yeah, so this topic actually came to us pretty easy because we were seeing a lot across the industry, across our research, mm -hmm. that was focused on <clears throat> Um, new ways to provide or generate energy on site. Um, we have had a sweeping discussion across the US and across the world mm -hmm. about mental health and mental energy, especially in the workplace. And so we really thought that this was a good opportunity to take something where we could look at emerging technologies in our industry and then also look at mm -hmm. different perspectives in sure. our energy and combine them right. kind of like how our first Curiosity Report was all about emerging technologies, how our second one was all about perspectives. Yeah. It feels like every time I look, there's somebody talking about some aspect of energy. I mean, the Super Bowl was just mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, right. and I saw literally, of all the car commercials, there was one gas car commercial, and all the rest were, all the rest were electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's was, funny. I don't even remember the gas It was one. crazy. <laughs> there's now, definitely like a tipping point that I think everyone now realizes we're at mm -hmm. and uh, everything boils down to energy I mean even an electric vehicle is I mean it's great it's better than combustion but sure if the energy that you're plugging into that car is coming from a coal plant right it's like you have to decarbonize you yeah, you, yeah yeah you have to totally go 
upstream to the source. I think something else that we thought was kind of funny with this topic was, you know, with dark, I mean, that was pretty futuristic, we're talking about quantum computing, and something about this topic almost feels like outdated. Like we should have been, you know, we're a little late to the game. (laughs) We really should, um, we're like in hyperdrive. Do you, right now. Do, you, do you find that happens when you're, I mean, especially in, in the fields that, you, that you're in and the data research that you do, you're, you know, reading through an article about, oh, this up and coming trend and you're like, oh, that's something we already yep. know everything about. <laughs> we, we do. I mean, when it comes to like everybody talking about the metaverse right now, yeah. it's really funny because we talked a lot about a, a lot of things happening in the metaverse in our 2020 curiosity report. Mm-hmm. And so that was one topic that we had on the table Slated, to put into yeah. this um, to this uh, edition because there's there's actually a really interesting parallel between like what the metaverse can provide versus the data consumption needed and the energy to you know support all of that data capacity mm-hmm. and there's a really interesting and then the environmental impact as well um, but we did feel like you know that was the topic that we covered yeah. heavily in yeah. the 2020 curiosity report we didn't want to revisit okay so are there topics that you feel like in the first two years just didn't go where they where you felt like they were gonna go or they didn't achieve what you were hoping they would achieve probably the the dark technologies the quantum piece because it's it's so fringe like Mm -hmm. it's still like questionable like there's if you read about it you know that like major companies are spending a lot of money and time but it still feels like science fiction it's like there's a path to get there but nobody's still figured out exactly what that path is yet one thing i did love about this year's uh curiosity report is when we were talking to a concrete scientist who uh, is actually the CEO of AI, uh, Concrete AI. Mm-hmm. He's talking about um, how they're using AI and machine learning to reduce the carbon content in cement, which is a major portion of concrete. Yeah. And he was he was actually linking to quantum computing mm-hmm. and talking about how when we can integrate quantum computing into the machine learning process for this, um, for you know developing the AI for the the cement, mm-hmm. um, that we will actually have a much better process right, for yeah. reducing carbon across the world in our yeah. concrete um, in, in our And there's, that's a great point too, because a lot of uh, the conversation with energy is also rooted in material science mm-hmm. and identifying new combinations of elements that can create right. new materials for like batteries especially. Um, so there's like that huge supercomputer up in Berkeley that once it can go quantum, I mean, it can already uh, make so many computations like rapid speed but once it can go quantum then it's like you could develop much better more sustainable batteries mm, right. which is really also an environmental so to that point impact. do you you know when you're so focused on future looking technologies is looking back to things like <coughs> I remember when we were talking to Brent about concrete like looking back to the way things have always been done and kind of re-examining if that's actually the way that they should continue to be done is it just as important to kind of look behind you as it is in front of you? I think, well, first of all, building context always helps. So mm-hmm. you can't really understand where to go unless you know where you're coming from. But I also think that when we're looking back and revisiting how we do things, I think that's super important. Um, and, and also taking from our perspectives, Curiosity Report, 
taking an outside point of view and listening to people that may not be in that specific industry, but maybe in a, a, a parallel industry or a completely different industry and seeing how they would do it differently um, actually can help us move forward. So I do think looking back can help, mm-hmm. but I do think looking forward helps as well. Well, as I was as I was reading through the curiosity report for this year, and obviously mostly just looking at the pictures, mm-hmm. um, one of the themes that I saw that carried over was this idea of decentralization and democratization, particularly when it comes to energy. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when we are talking about democratization of energy, one of the uh, concepts that we bring forward in this curiosity report is looking at, you know what's happening to the grid and instead of saying there's one grid and there's a utility service provider that we all kind of use um, and especially since we're here in texas and the grid is top of mind for all of us in february (laughs) right after a nice storm um, we are looking instead of a grid of grids um, where there are actually multiple microgrids that could be possible within a city. And because we might even be looking at a building level microgrid instead of a microgrid that is um, at the grid level, then we can start to think about how those building microgrids can generate energy on site and then share that energy with another building or share it with uh, other buildings in a community. So for example, if you can think of any big box store like a Walmart, a Target, an at-home, you know, any- An Amazon fulfillment store. Maybe, yes. (laughs) Then you can think about, well, what kind of energy can we produce on that site because those buildings are so massive and then overproduce for that consumption, for Mm -hmm. that annual consumption and then share that Mm -hmm. with the community so that the community is actually reducing their energy Mm -hmm. bills as well and gain the efficiency that's probably the the biggest thing we've learned is like there's so much energy Mm -hmm. wasted in just literally transporting it from generation to where it needs to go i know that can do it on site that was one thing that hover really hit hard on right was being able to to bring that so much closer to home Right, exactly. And and that's that's you know, the article that we are talking about, the grid of grids, is our article where we're talking about capturing the power that's all around us, which is talking about turbulent wind within our cities. Well and it really it, it kinda it checks two boxes because it's not only reducing the waste of transferring energy, but it's also creating a more stable grid because you're not dependent on one or two or, you know, Mm -hmm. a handful of feeds. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's interesting because if you think about it, there were a lot of homes in California that during the wildfires, even though they had solar on their rooftops, they still lost power. And a lot of people were like, well, how? Because they're generating their own power. They don't have battery storage. Mm-hmm. So when Which you're is ge- a great transition, let's talk a little bit about battery storage because I know that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, when you're generating one. energy on site right now and in a lot of places, because we don't have any way to support that energy or to store that energy for later use, we're reliant on the weather, yeah. which you know, is a topic of conversation that used to be like pretty menial to people. And now it's very, very specific. But um, if we could start to store our energy that we're gathering during the day or when the wind is blowing versus when it's not blowing or even, you know, hydropower when it's raining and when it's not raining, if we can store that energy and use it for times Mm -hmm. later on in the week and transport it. Right. Because like you have a geo, I mean, just like oil and gas, it's got it's geolocated so you have areas that are like more prone for solar more prone for wind but Mm -hmm. they don't need all of that wind capacity so you have to find ways to trap it in some sort of high capacity battery transport it 
but then batteries are tricky that's what we've also come across is like with building code right now you can only have a certain amount of kilowatt hour load in it because they heat and they Mm. can cause fires and they're dangerous so we now have to think like you're cramming all these evs or like battery loads to trapped wind well you need those to be safe too do you feel like there's a shift from kind of the technology and the innovation focusing on energy creation whether it's solar or wind or hydro or whatever you know there's there's so much advancement in that area to the storage has storage kind of gotten was it a little bit forgotten and and now it's maybe going to get a little bit more innovation or is it just always been a struggle i don't know if i know if it's always been a struggle i think it's it's definitely a missing link mm-hmm. right now right you have like battery for example we have a piece in there called the vita x parking garage where you have an electric vehicle that cannot just take power from the grid it can offload some of its power but so right that's now something we've got right here right yeah perfect right. but right now there's the car company has a warranty on that battery they don't want you to use it a thousand times mm-hmm. to power your house right. they want to make sure that that energy use is being used for the car. And so just something like that, because battery lives are not that long, we need a two million mile battery. Right. That's what we, and then they'd be like, I don't care, do it with your house, offload it to the parking garage, do whatever, but right now it's limited. When if you think about the way that um, PV panels, solar panels Mm -hmm. have transitioned over the years, I mean, they used to be very expensive for little energy generation. And we have a project here at Corgan, um, Fort Bend Middle School, um, where when I was talking to one of the project managers on on that project, he was mentioning that the capacity that they were able to generate or the energy that they were able to generate kept changing throughout the entire design process because the solar panels were getting more and more and more efficient. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, if you think about it, I mean, solar has been around for so many years as we've been putting this on our buildings. And now it's time to focus on batteries. And Mm -hmm. I think that that same maturation will happen Mm -hmm. as we start to find different areas and different reasons that we need these batteries on site. And to the point about the V2X garage, you know, one of the things that we're talking about there is capturing solar power, putting it into your battery, taking that power creating a transmission line that doesn't really exist, but doesn't need any extra infrastructure, Mm -hmm. which means the car itself is the transmission and then bringing it to Mm -hmm. um, the parking garage or Mm -hmm. the building that the parking garage is attached to (laughs) or um, just different services that the parking garage provides and turning that energy into currency. And speaking of grids, the grids can get actually as small as even potentially a shoe. Yep. <laughs> at this point, I know uh, we did a uh, we did an interview with you a while back um, talking about the design sprint that kind of came up with Jolts, but but with the idea that you know anybody from a child to an adult could be wearing these and using piezoelectric generation, right. generate electricity, and then you know when you stick your feet under your desk, there's a mat that discharges a shoe or you know any number of things. So you can get the grid as small as that. <laughs> um, what what does that afford us? What does that what benefits do we have when it when a grid is that small? So one thing that we talk about in the book is the fact that um, different types of on-site energy generation are now at the building level, which is a microgrid at the building level, which has not been done 
in a large way before. Mm -hmm. um, when we're talking about jolts and this tennis shoe, we're thinking about micro, micro, yeah. micro grid. <laughs> Nano. <laughs> yeah. And really democratizing. Trademark. <laughs> access to generating your own energy. Right now, when we think about um, a traditional family, maybe you're thinking a family of four, you know, a mom, a dad, and two kids, um, and you're thinking about how they generate their own energy. Well, they have to purchase a solar roof and they have to go through all the steps. It's, yeah. it's very expensive, sometimes too prohibitive, especially for mm -hmm. different communities. And if they don't have a south-facing roof and, and just exactly, all the different things. Too many yeah, trees. You can have all the money yeah. in the world yeah. and your house just won't allow it. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And so with Jolts, what our, our brilliant interns came up yeah. with, um, I should mention that the Jolts project was part of our summer intern design sprint that we right. do every summer. And um, what this team came up with was the idea that we could generate energy through a shoe with piezoelectricity um, running through the soles and um, being able to store it within a battery that sits within the sole of the shoe. And what they found in their study was that for a family of four, for typical uh, walking distances and typical steps that people track. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of data out there, by the way, about how many people yeah, track what, however many steps. Um, that they would be able to, uh, they would be able to cover the the an, or the monthly energy consumption of a typical four-person family. I bet with my three-year-old we could <laughs> yeah. knock it out with yeah. just him. Well, <laughs> and that's the thing is like if you think about education systems, think For about sure. there are some schools where they're in communities that actually need more help, and what better way to donate these types of mm -hmm. shoes through you know. A shoe, a shoe program like Tom's or something right. like that, where they donate these shoes. The students are able to play all day, to move around all day, to generate this type of electricity, store it, and at the end of the day, they take those batteries out and that energy goes back to the school. You know, maybe that could help reduce, uh, be a tax incentive. Maybe yeah. that could help, um, you know, different communities across the U.S. that are maybe in lower economic situations. So tell me a little bit about some of the other... Um you know, trends that you guys examined. I, I saw zero to be a hero. Tell me a little bit about that one. <laughs> I, I, I like that name <laughs> and I don't think my team got it, but it's, well, it's you, you Hercules. Got this, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> we'll insert the oh, Hercules clip it. here. <laughs> but with this idea of the difference between being kind of on paper net zero and right. being real net zero. Right. Yeah, this is a concept that we learned by talking to some of our experts where they were telling us that, you know, our goals for 2050 are to be net zero. And they were like, that's great, but that's not where we need to be. And in yeah. fact, um, one of the books that we reference in the uh, in the Curiosity Report called How to Avoid a Climate Disaster mm -hmm. even talks about the difference between net zero and real zero and what it's going to take to get to real zero. And so the idea is that with net zero, you can offload or you can you know, buy a forest somewhere yeah. and get those credits, but still you're putting those emissions into the air. Yeah. With real zero, we're reducing the emissions. You're um, not just, you're not just count, you're not just um, supplementing what you're putting in, you're actually giving it negative. Right. Because gases stay in the air. Right. And right. so we just, we need to get to a place where we can function without creating emissions. Yeah. Right. And something that we also talk about in that article is the difference between carbon emissions and operational emissions. Um, because there's one thing that we as architects know, I think Frank Lloyd Wright, the reason why he designed the buildings he did, 
where you can't move the furniture around is because he knew that as soon as people come and live in those houses, that they're going to change it and it's going to wreck his design. And so I think when we as architects are designing buildings, we design them to be as efficient as possible or mm -hmm. as efficient as technology will allow or mm -hmm. even sometimes as efficient as our, our clients will let us move in that direction. And um, that's all well and great. But if we design a very efficient building that then is so complex to operate, that people start making affordances here and start taking you know, liberties here on how they operate the building, then it reduces the efficiencies that we put into place and in some, in some cases can make it even more inefficient. Mm. So we have to talk about you know, ways to reduce emissions, but we also have to talk about the behavioral aspect of mm -hmm. people within the building and how they're operating mm -hmm. and using the building day to day mm -hmm. in order to really understand the holistic journey of the building. Mm -hmm. And then to Tanya's point, you know, looking at, um, embodied carbon in everything yeah. that we do from you know just designing the building yeah. and the energy that goes into our programs to design the building yeah. to literally the lights that are yeah. kept on while right. you're you know right yeah to the um furniture that we put in the building the embodied carbon that comes with that mm -hmm. what other trends really excited you this year yeah. oh i don't know lots of them <laughs> lots of them <laughs> one of the things that we found and we put this in the curiosity report it's a very short segment um but we've been very interested in how electric vehicles are starting to to play a role in architecture you know mm. for years we've been talking about how mm -hmm. electric vehicles how are they going to change architecture yeah. we've had these grand concepts mm -hmm. for years and now it's getting to the point where there's so much user adoption that we can start to see right. real scenarios playing out and one it, of those it goes beyond the two token charge points at the front of the parking <laughs> yeah. lot yeah we're like oh you get a gold star <laughs> <laughs> one of those the this small article very small it's like half a page uh we oh, talked so about it's my speed, it's your speed. and there's a big image to go with it <laughs> um, but we highlight a company called Rivian who is yes. um, who has been talking oh, with GM and a couple vehicles. of other yeah. Ford and, and others on manufacturing and um, their product but one thing that's great about it is not only did Amazon start purchasing Rivian mm -hmm. trucks so that yep. they can deliver more efficiently which leads to another yeah, trend that talk I'm about, very yeah. interested in mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is this truck itself is so human-centered yeah. design. I mean there's so many little things All that the they really thought about. You put your yeah, skis absolutely. in the back right. like you can They're pop really out a picnic this. table. A lot of I mean, skiing yeah. in Dallas. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but I mean a week yeah. ago <laughs> no, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> no I, 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 you know, it was funny. They, for all the different car manufacturers out there, it was so markedly different how human centric their designs were. Right. Mm -hmm. It, it was. It really caught you by surprise. At least it yeah. did me. Right. I think as as designers, it's really nice to see the thought and effort yeah. put into yeah. something like that. Especially the fact that we do qualitative research where we reach out to users and get their perspectives, and they did the same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but the that, reason they bought that they're building a a fleet is to support companies like Amazon, who right. are also like they take up such a huge market share mm -hmm. that they're like, they know they have a responsibility. Um, and so we spent a lot of time, for actually the last year or so, we've been looking at fulfillment and the retail experience and how it's been changing, mm -hmm. but like a lot of things with COVID, it kind of accelerated this trend of buying things online. And now you're seeing things like ghost stores or dark stores, that they have different names, where the front end retail experience is really where you go to see the brand or mm -hmm. see the thing and then it's getting flown to your house 
in an hour, you know, right. and you're not lugging it around. Um, and that's just been a pretty interesting, that's a like a paradigm shift right. in like how people shop. Right. Um, but what I have found most interesting is looking at the fulfillment center as a workplace, right? There's been a lot of press, press yes. around the conditions in warehouses and like, you know, we're trying to move on up in human history, right? right. Not go back. <laughs> and so um, you're seeing these warehouses that have basketball courts and cafes and uh, there's a theme for co-warehousing so if I uh, make candles on my off time at home as my little side business I can't afford to buy my own warehouse right. it's the overhead and everything so just like a we work but for a co-warehouse I pay a monthly fee and I get access to like a photography room where I can photograph my products and then I get access to the fulfillment machinery and services so like during peak demand like holidays I get access to fulfillment staff who can help me package up and send out and that's, that's like awesome. distribution and mm -hmm. democratization yeah. of these things that like five years ago Amazon and Walmart had kind of only access to that on, yeah. right and you know you're just seeing that kind of open up um, and then one other thing that we learned with just logistics in general and, and shipping things is that last mile from like when it leaves the warehouse and kind of goes to the urban core is also the most energy intensive portion. Hmm. So if you can start to reduce that by having like drop off centers or like, and we already have that, right? But like right. if it just gets better, you're gonna also reduce energy use. Right. So an incredible three years, what do you think the next three years brings? Both in, both in, technology but also just with the curiosity report well i think you know we've already started talking about topics for next year's curiosity <laughs> report of course um it's funny how once we finish one we we see a lot of things that are relating mm -hmm. to the one that we just launched and then we also see things that are just like okay that needs to go in the next one yeah, yeah. um so <clears throat> you know i don't know what the next three years brings um, I I could say something, but I am afraid of Cassandra syndrome. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I will say is, you know, in the next few years, um, what we are expecting out of the Curiosity Report is to continue these conversations with experts. I mean, I feel like, you know, we learned so much mm -hmm. from the professors that we spoke to at Stanford University that helped us understand um, energy innovation to the, the concrete scientists and those that are innovating across that industry to um, those in the food industry and the vertical farming industry and the distribution that we talked to about them with food. Um, and how that that whole uh, mm -hmm. logistics is uh, hold that yeah. whole area is changing, um, and so I do feel like that was one thing that we took from this curiosity report that will will completely transform the next the next few coming up. Well, certainly some of the topics uh, from from this year's curiosity report, we've gotten a chance to talk to some of the people, whether it was vertical farming or. Brent and the, the concrete, uh, going all in on concrete. Um, and so if you want to check out some of those a little bit more in depth, we'll put the links below as well as the link to your digital copy of this year's Curiosity Report. Thank you all so much for being here. I can't wait to see you next thank year you. when we talk about a whole new batch of cutting edge trends. <laughs> and thank you so much for watching or listening and make sure to join us next time.